Uh, Let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we go through this passage. And Martin, thanks for that reading. Does anyone know what was so special or just maybe significant about this date? The 21st of October, 2015. The 21st of October, 2015. Anyone? Yep, call it out. Back to the Future, that's right. This is, it was Back to the Future Day. Okay, so Back to the Future, most of us know, was a popular movie back in the 80s into the early 90s. And in the second movie, they jumped ahead, way ahead in time, decades ahead, and they landed on that date, the 21st of October, 2015. Now, back then, that seemed pretty far into the future, but it actually came around in our lifetime And so when that date actually hit, people said, well, let's compare the real world now to what they thought it was going to be like. You know what? Some of it actually came true. Okay, so video conferencing, um, eyeglasses that have digital screens, they're not, I guess, in public usage yet, but they've got the technology, 3D movies, fingerprint technology, all the stuff that was in the movies, we have all of it now. In fact, we take much of that for granted uh, right now. Um, other things, though, unfortunately, you know, you might be disappointed. The sneakers that lace themselves as stylish as they are, uh, flying cars, hovercrafts, I mean, hoverboards, we're just a few years away from those things, okay? But it goes to show, doesn't it, that we like to look ahead and wonder what the future is going to hold, you know? So on that same date, that Back to the Future day, um, scientists from some of the Australian universities said, well, let's, let's predict again. Let's predict another 30 years into the future. Some of the stuff they wrote was a bit crazy, let me say. But, you know, they had some interesting things in there. They expect that we're going to have airplanes that will be able to both repair and fly themselves. And they think that buildings are going to be so tall that they'll almost be mini cities within themselves. Okay, so interesting things there. But anyway, I don't want to, that'll take us way away from the sermon. Um, Who knows, though? Okay, the reality is that looking to the future still is always guesswork, isn't it? Um, I really have no idea what the world is going to be like when my children are my age, you know, in 35 years' time. Who knows? Uh, But one thing I know for sure is that I know what my ultimate, what our ultimate future is going to look like. Because, see, uh, when we think about beyond the ends of the earth, Revelation 7 gives us a picture of what's going to come. Okay, we don't have to wonder what the future is going to hold. God reveals that to us in this great vision. And here there's a vision that God gives the Apostle John of his heavenly throne room. So we're going to think about three things in that vision tonight. Who will be there, the worship that's going to happen, and what it will be like. Okay, so three things. What can we expect when we look beyond the now and we look towards the ends of the earth. Who's going to be there? Okay, we're thinking of this revelation vision. Well, as soon as we start to read it, we get the answer for that one in the passage. So if you have it open, look with me there, please, at the first verse. And it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. It would be a great multitude, it says, A couple of weeks ago, the pop singer Adele played here in Sydney to a crowd of, get this, 96,000 people. Caused all kinds of city rail and traffic issues. One person tweeted that they spent five hours in traffic because of this concert. 
Um, Adele said she herself had never played to a crowd that size. And so whether or not you're an Adele fan or not, it's pretty impressive to have almost 100,000 people gather for a two-hour show for one performer. But you know, that's still nothing compared to the picture here in Revelation 7. Because we can't count seats for this one. We can't count ticket numbers. Okay, the, the, it says here that the multitude is uncountable. There's a sea of people as far as the eye will go gathered before the throne, the throne of the Lamb. And if we look closely at the description there, it goes on to say that they're not just from one country or one ethnic group. These are people from every corner of the globe, from every nation, uh, tribe, people, and language. You know, this means that it being Presbyterian being many peoples, one in Christ, is a very good thing. Have you ever stopped to think that, in a sense, our multi-ethnic church is just a taste of the larger and more diverse uh, group of worshippers that will be gathered together in heaven? It's just that little taste that God gives us. But then, of course, this has to spill over into how we reach out, you know, into the diverse peoples of Epping, but then again further to the ends of this earth. We just spent a weekend thinking about missions. So for those of you who weren't at church camp, uh, that was uh, the focus, missions. And we were privileged to hear from a number of missionaries who are connected with um, our church here. And we heard about their ministries and the people they are serving all over the world. And we have been blessed here at Epping to uh, have been, and we still are, a large mission-supporting church. We have been doing that for a long time. Uh, we have an active and committed mission support group. Uh, we pray for our missionaries every week and every service. All of this is fantastic. It's so good that we do this. Not every church does this. Okay? And we want to keep doing that. You know, we want to keep sending missionaries, loving our missionaries, supporting missions in so many ways. But as we do that, we can't forget the vision of Revelation 7. See, we don't want to just do missions well, but we want to add to the heavenly multitude. And we want to do that from all over the globe. So as we think about this, deliberately thinking about this, we want Ethiopians in that crowd. And we want Chadians and the Portuguese and the French. We want people who have been touched by HCR and those who have used the Five Fish app and the materials from Global Recordings. We want all those people to be in the uncountable number. See, as we think about it that way, it's a bit different, isn't it? It's not just doing missions well, it's we're growing that multitude. So part of the who is that we have this mind-blowing volume of people gathered from everywhere, of diverse people. But there's something else about this crowd that lets us know who they are. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. An elder asks John about all the people who are wearing these white robes. And he eventually answers himself that these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. When you have young children, one thing you often need to know is how to get stains out. Okay, how do you get texture off brand new light colored carpet? I want to know. Uh, what do you do when the kids decide to run around in the mud and the grass with just their socks on, as they did just this past week, by the way? Uh, you know, yes, that is tomato sauce on your school uniform, and I love how far the spill is spreading. Okay, 
there are lots of tips and tricks out there for getting out stains. You know, hairspray, vinegar, talcum powder, you name it. But do you know what they will never tell you to do? Oh, we'll just go wash those clothes in blood. You know, when our kids have a nosebleed, we don't save it for the next stain. It's something we need to wash out, isn't it? You know, it's not a stain remover. It makes stains. That is unless we're talking about the blood of the Lamb, the spilled blood of Jesus Christ when he went to the cross for us. See, what we have here in Revelation chapter 7, this is, this is picture language, okay? This is about the death of Jesus as he pays for our sins. Uh, him, in a sense, covering our spiritual stains. That's what we have here. And so us who follow Jesus, we are reclothed as new people. We are in whiter than whites. You know, we're in those white robes. Uh, we have come out of the tribulation. That's the time between Jesus' earthly ministry and his return. And we are clothed in his righteousness. We are clothed so that we can stand before a holy God. And what this means is that the people here in this vision, this multitude, they are the redeemed. Okay, people who have been brought into the everlasting uh, family of God by God's Son. People called by him. People given the gift of eternal life. Bought at a priceless cost, given that holiness of Christ. And so people who are precious and spotless in the sight of God. White robes, spotless. And so that leads us then into the second thing we're going to explore about the the world to come. We've got an uncountable number of people from all over the globe, all gathered as the redeemed. But they're going to be doing something. The gathering is people who worship. They'll be worshiping God. So let's think about worship beyond the ends of the earth. As we read the passage earlier, did you notice that there are actually two cries of worship here? In verse 10, the multitude, they cry out to God and the Lamb because of that salvation, that salvation that has been given to them. And then, if you look with me in verse 11... All the angels, the elders, the four living creatures, they worship God, and they say, Amen. Okay, they're agreeing with the multitude. And then they add their own words of worship, and it literally says something like this. Okay, it says, the praise, meaning uh, the only praise. There's nothing else worth praising like this. The, The ultimate praise, the praise, and the glory, and the wisdom and the thanksgiving, and the honor, and the power, and the strength. We're just laying it on here. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So here we have not only the multitude, but all of the angels, and all of the heavenly beings. And so basically, this is the entire creation that is in a relationship with God, and they're all worshiping him. Why? Because of who he is and what he has done. That's the right and natural response to God. That's what they're doing. Every created being that's in a relationship with God. One uh, Bible commentator, he says it so well when he writes, Worship is the heartfelt affirmation about God in response to the declaration of the gospel. Great definition of worship. And see, that's what's happening here. Because Revelation chapter 7, this is gospel language. 
This is a recognition that only God could have an eternal plan to save the lost. Only this God could do that. Only this God could come to earth as a man to die for us and pay for our sins to bring us to himself. We're the redeemed. Only this God has been a sacrificial lamb. Look at how many times lamb is used in this passage. And only this God is so powerful that not even death could contain him. And so he rose victorious. See, friends, this is a message of hope and healing that we want to spread to the ends of the earth. Okay, this is the core content of any teaching that we do here in this church or here locally in Epping or what we bring all over the world in missions. It has to be this. Okay, this is gospel language, and that's what we are working with. Okay, that this God, he offers us peace with himself eternally. And if that's true, this vision in this chapter has to impact us now. It just has to. I mean, if this is where it's all headed, if God himself is going to be where our worship is focused, then he has to be the object of our worship now. just makes sense, doesn't it? So by this, I'm not asking, do we turn up the church week by week and sing songs of praise and have musical worship? That's fantastic, and let's keep doing that. But what I mean is, in our hearts, in all of life, is our main worship for him? That's the question. Because as you've heard me say uh, probably a number of times before, we are always going to worship something. We are wired like that as human beings. There is always something that will get our main love or our energy or our time or our focus. Something we think we'll never be able to live without. And we look to so many different things to give us meaning. But the question each one of us must ask is, does my worship belong to God? To be honest, when I speak for myself, I know I can too easily put other things before God. Especially when I'm tired or I'm grumpy or I'm too busy or I'm frustrated. A few years ago, I even had a sign stuck up on the wall. And it said, no God, no guitar. And it was a reminder for me, this is what I needed to hear. that To ask myself, well, have I spent proper time with God before running to the other things that I enjoy? It was just a reminder for me to check my God's. To check what I worship. What might it be for you? Is your heart leaning towards God or is he sort of just added into the mix alongside all of the other stuff of life? Now friends, let's be honest. We know there are times we're going we're to waver on the spectrum. Okay? But God, by his grace, he keeps holding us and pointing us towards him. Okay? And he uses us, each other, to help us keep refocusing on him. Or maybe we have turned aside. And so I want to suggest one thing that we can do to help us along with keeping our main worship for God. Okay, Because as we've seen here, the entire creation, it's focusing on the gospel, isn't it? That's what they're doing in Revelation 7. And they're looking to the salvation that comes from Jesus. And so they're thanking and they're praising God because of what he's done. So what we need to do is keep finding ways of reminding ourselves of that same gospel, in a sense, doing what they are doing here, so that it becomes our core truth that we are responding to. You know, it's not just one little bit of our identity. Because, see, keeping the gospel on view means that the awesomeness of God is on view. Okay, and so that's not forgotten, and then we have a natural worship of him. So just a few ideas, some things we might want to do to help us with that. 
Well, what about taking your mobile phone on your home screen, that picture that keeps coming up, we'll put, put an image of the cross there, or take a Bible verse that just brings you back to that truth, put it on your home screen, you look at it as you look at your mobile phone. Um, if you were at camp and you took part in the Bible storytelling sessions, can you bring that into your own personal time with God so that the, the gospel story of what Jesus has done becomes more natural heart language for you? Can you do that? And if you weren't at camp and you want some information on that, we'll gladly get that for you. Um, how about sticking the word redeemed? Putting on your bathroom mirror or sticking in your, in your fridge, you know, or somewhere where you're going to look regularly. Or, or maybe for you there is something that just crowds God out a bit regularly. And you might want your own no God, no fill-in-the-blank sign. Whatever that might be for you. But do you see the point? In Revelation 7, they're all around the throne and facing the Lamb. God is at the center. For us, though, see, our world is often so distracting that we need to help each other keep him at the center. But when we do that, when he is there, he can naturally be who he should be, the object of our worship. Okay, so beyond the ends of the earth, we have this redeemed multitude representing all the peoples. And they're responding to God and the gospel of Jesus in joyful worship, this natural response to God for who he is and what he has done. And finally, for the last few minutes, let's think about what it'll be like. What it will be like. Now, this passage doesn't really go on to describe heaven or the new creation. You get a bit more of that later in in Revelation, but here in chapter 7, it doesn't really do that for us. But there's still something significant about what it will be like, and it's actually spread all throughout these verses. And perhaps a good way for us to see this is through a story. Uh, Right now, I'm reading an excellent book, and it's called Same Lake, Different Boat. Uh, It's about Christianity and people with disabilities. I'm only about halfway through it. But let me say it's fantastic, and I strongly, strongly recommend it. Uh, The author is a woman whose son has Down syndrome. Uh, She's connected in with that community, and she knows then many families of people who have uh, these disabilities. Uh, But sadly, it also means that she knows people who have lost children through disabilities too. Here's what she writes about the funeral of a 13-year-old boy who spent most of his life disabled because of a brain tumor. I escaped into another room where I dissolved into tears. As I emerged, Keith, an adult friend of mine who has Down syndrome, greeted me. He observed that I had been crying, and he was very, very intentional about speaking to me. He started out, with his predictable, traditional greeting. Do you love Jesus? I was not in the mood for this conversation. Ben, now Ben was the name of the 13-year-old disabled boy who had died. Ben loved Jesus, Keith said reflectively. Nodding patronizingly, I mumbled something in response to him. And Ben is with Jesus, Keith exclaimed. And he grew up, Keith continued. Uh Uh-huh. 
Not being willing to be dismissed so lightly, he became very animated, strutting around the narthex and motioning with his hands, and he can walk! Finally, getting in front of my face, Keith cried, and he can see him. He got my attention. I started listening to what Keith was saying and looked at the joy on his face. Ben had had hope. Keith understood the same hope. And Keith, my teacher, knew that I needed to be reminded of it too. Verse 10 of our passage says that the multitude are standing where? Before the throne and in front of the Lamb. And verses 15 and following say that they are serving God in his temple. And that the one on the throne, he has spread his tent over them. So read verses 16 and 17 with me. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That 13-year-old boy, Ben, he's in that multitude. Us here in this church tonight who follow Jesus, that's where we're going to be. People all over the globe will come to know Jesus through the missions of this church. That's them. And notice what they're doing here in Revelation 7. They're in the presence of Christ. They are with Jesus. They are seeing Jesus. And what's that going to mean? living in an active relationship with God where he completely protects and satisfies and leads us. That's the picture here. I love the line about the the lamb being the shepherd and him being on the throne and leading us to living water. And God, he takes every hair, every every hurt, every tear, uh, every moment of loss, all of our mourning, every bit of disappointment, he just makes it all no more. That's what it's going to be like. That's the picture here. See, friends, we can have a gospel that looks like this. Jesus died for sins, and so if you trust in that, you get into heaven. Full stop. Now, that's true, so don't mishear me. That is very true. But that understanding makes the gospel almost impersonal, almost joyless. You know, it's almost reduced to a formula. Or we can have the gospel of Revelation 7. The reality of the good news of Jesus is that it is very, very personal. It's salvation offered to people so that they come into an eternal relationship with the living God where his his great desire is to pour out infinite blessings on those who are in his family. Where he says, I'm going to ultimately take away every bad thing. Every bad thing is gone forever where all the hurts of this world will disappear and where he'll fill us with himself so that we lack nothing. The cross is not just for paying for sins, but for paying for sins so that we can be with our creator. The cross is not just a giving of God's son, but also then a bringing back of a multitude of children that no one can even count. That's the gospel, friends. So what I want to ask and what I want to end with is this. 
Are you in that crowd? Are you in that crowd? And if you are, are you joyfully looking to that day? Do you turn to this vision here in God's word for hope? Because you see, God has given us this for a reason. And I think he wants us. He's, it's planned for this truth to penetrate our hearts so that as our gaze rests here, we are reminded of what's really real, of where God is calling us and what is beyond the ends of the earth. And if you're sitting here today and you don't see your face in that heavenly multitude, have you been searching for something that will wipe away your tears and will deal with your brokenness and hurt or the brokenness of this world? Is God touching your heart today and saying, I want you in that crowd? That's where you're going to be. You're going to be in that crowd. If he is, please don't ignore him. In this passage, every created being who's in a relationship with God, they're looking lovingly towards the Lamb, but he in turn is loving us eternally in ways that words can't even capture. It's this fantastic picture of an uncountable multitude of every people group. They're all tasting the glories of salvation. It's this natural response of worship because of how awesome and wonderful God is that he would do this for us because of this gift of new life he gives in Jesus. And it's a place of being with him forever, filled by him, satisfied by him, and completely safe and cared for and led. Friends, this is the amazing picture God gives us. It's what we have now in part, and as I said, we get taste of that even now as we gather. But it's also what all of our ministry is leading to. It's what all of our missions is leading to. It's where our lives are leading as well beyond the ends of the earth. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you so much that you would give us this vision because our vision is so often short-sighted. Lord, we, we get distracted by things and we forget the wonders of what you've called us to. Or we know it, but we sort of put it aside a little bit and it doesn't get the focus and Sometimes, Lord, you're not even on the throne in our lives. You're not at the center of that throne, but we've, again, put you to the side a little bit. Lord, we're sorry for that, but we thank you that you love us and we have been redeemed, those of us who follow Jesus, and we are spotless in him and we are forgiven. And so, Lord, we we stand here as people who will be in that multitude and we say thank you and we praise you for that. Lord, we ask that you'll etch this truth deep into our hearts so that we are changed by it. And so that the vision of things to come will shape the vision of life around us now. Lord, we ask as we think about missions in our church that this will also empower how we think about missions and do missions. And we ask, Lord, that through the work of this church, whether we're on the field or we're simply supporting and praying and thinking about and communicating with our missionaries, that all of these efforts will go towards people being found in that multitude. And Lord, I pray, please, that every person sitting here tonight will be found in that great crowd with a natural response of worship of God because of what he has done. Lord, for anyone who's sitting here tonight and has been really struggling with the hurts of this world, I pray that your truth, that God will wipe away every tear, will minister deep into their soul. Father, thank you for giving us this truth. We thank you that even tragedies like a 13-year-old disabled boy dying that even in that, that your hope is seen.
Father, be with us. Change us by this. And we praise and thank you as the multitude does. In Jesus' name, amen.